everyone. Welcome to the podcast of the Vineyard Church, Chester Springs. We invite you to join our mission to love like Jesus, and you can connect with us on social media or visit our website, csvineyard.org. Now for this week's talk, brought to you by co-lead pastor, Amos Grunendijk. Good morning, everybody. My name is Amos. I'm the teaching pastor here. It's pretty cool to be doing Operation Christmas Child today. It lines up with what I'm going to talk about. And it's been really fun to do this series, Love Like Jesus. And by fun, I don't mean like, woohoo, yay. I mean, something's been happening inside of me and I think in our church. Uh, it's been good for my heart. And it's been fun to watch how God is moving among us, but also working in me. And so one of the things uh, that I think has changed even in my teaching over this series is, you know, when I just started out doing this, it's been almost 10 years ago, I, I wrote talks based on research and study, and I'd look at commentaries, and so I still have that and I still do that, but instead of that being the basis, I feel like I've been paying attention to what God is doing and what God is drawing me toward, and then I get to kind of experience and share that. And so uh, I think that has been made possible in part because I've been on a journey uh, toward turning off all the notifications on my phone and computer. So I, I knew that Facebook notifications would be like a bad thing and always in my face, but I've turned off email and even on my computer, I don't even get the little, the little circles. And it's amazing the kind of space now that I have in my life and in my mind where I'm not so amped up and so anxious. So I've just been able to pay attention, I think, to what God is doing in me and in my life. And with that, I want to tell you a story uh, from this past week. The, the thing you must know is that my garage uh, has been occupied with a fridge and uh, a variety of other pieces of scrap wood and saws and all that because my wife and I did a kitchen remodel that lasted, you know, well, it's not totally done yet, but it started last April. And uh, two weeks ago, I was like, you know, I'm ready to put my car back in the garage. So I sold the refrigerator. I got 200 bucks for it. It was great on Facebook Marketplace. Uh, and then last Friday, I, I cleaned it up to the point where I was going to sweep it and move the car in. But you know it was raining, if you remember, Friday? And it was late. It was really late. So I thought, you know, I'll just do it tomorrow. So I, I can't remember what I had to do Saturday, Saturday morning, but I, I get up, and Allison is still in bed, and I walk out to our front door, and I say, unexpected. <laughs> I saw this. And I thought, well... Maybe it's fine. It looks like maybe the tree fell over the car instead of onto the car. But I walked around the car and realized that that wasn't the case. And then I thought, well, for dramatic effect, I'll go in the car. Uh, yeah, this is the car. If you remember a couple weeks ago, I told the story about how I changed the struts uh, just two weeks ago. And uh, I was like, God, God, what are you doing? Uh, here. And so, anyway, I, I was like, maybe, maybe God can use this for good. But I thought, man, you know what I was hoping? I was hoping to drive this car for like another 100,000 miles. 
which is ambitious maybe because it already had 225,000 miles. It was a 2004 Toyota Corolla uh, named Dimitri. And I, you know, I have a sentimental attachment to that car. It was my wife and I's first big purchase together. So it's been around for our entire marriage. Even I think we bought it when we were engaged. Um, and, and I was going to sell the car in a couple of years or junk the car if, it, if I drove it into the ground and upgrade to a convertible because I, I drove a convertible in, in college. My dad actually gave it to me as a gift. And, and man, I love being outside. I, I love the, the feeling of wind in your hair. And I thought, I'm going to save up my money. And then maybe by the time I'm 40, I'll go and buy a convertible. Now, I sold that convertible, uh, in fact, because, I don't know, I didn't have any money in college. And this is a side story, but I, I ended up taking the money eventually and buying Alice and her engagement rings. But anyway, that's beside the point. I, I've been, one of my life goals is to get back into a convertible, and I'm thinking, man, I, we don't have the money in the bank. We just redid our kitchen. We're actually, we're going to New Zealand in a week, uh, which was pretty cool because we just used airline miles to do that. Uh, but, you know, we're trying to not spend money we don't have, right? Well, I'll tell you what happened. This happened. Next picture, please. You know how sometimes you just get random checks in the mail and you can go, you know, like God provides? That didn't happen to me, but maybe sometimes you've heard stories. Uh, I've always hoped that that would happen to me. Like, I need some money and somebody anonymously writes a check and sends it to you in the mail. That didn't happen, but... I'll tell you what did happen. Uh, we carried insurance on Dimitri, uh, in part because the car wasn't worth a whole lot and it was super cheap to carry insurance. And so within like three days, the insurance company was willing to send me a check. And for only like $2,000 out of pocket, I got a car with 100,000 less miles and no roof. So I'm just like, I'm, I'm flying high. And, and I have been just contemplating that this week and realize that God is so generous. Jesus' love is a generous love. And some of you might have little alarms going off in your head, like, whoa, 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 what are you saying? That sounds like something that I've heard about, and it makes me nervous, right? I'm not talking about a prosperity gospel here. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this because some of you maybe have never even heard that word, but the prosperity gospel is what some people, especially on TV, will, will preach and say, you know, if you have faith, then God promises health and wealth. And that's not what I'm saying here. What I'm saying is every good thing, every good and perfect gift comes from God. And God doesn't promise us all convertibles. And he doesn't even promise us health or wealth. In fact, a lot of times as you're following Jesus, you'll find out that Things can be really difficult, and sometimes you're, you're low on funds, and sometimes you've run out of uh, resources, and sometimes you get sick, and your friends die, and you get sick, and you're in this painful struggle that we call life, but, but God promises us something, not, not more stuff, but more peace, not perfect health, but perfect joy. Like, that is the offer that God is making to us. And let me tell you, God is generous. And so we're going to look at John chapter 2 uh, here. And I think this is a passage that I was drawn to uh, early in the week. And it's, it's really, really a cool passage. Maybe you've 
read this one before, but it's, uh, it's called The Wedding at Cana. And we'll just pray here a second, and then we'll read starting in verse 1. So Holy Spirit, we invite you. You are generous, not just in a general sense, but generous to us. And I pray that you would open that up uh, for each of us today. Let that settle in. Meet us wherever we are, whether it be in a place of happiness and joy or depletion and pain. So open up our eyes and our hearts to what you want to speak to us through this passage. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, so as I read from the Gospel of John, know that a lot of the stories here are different than the stories that you read in the other three Gospels, uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And one thing also to remember is that a lot of times when John is speaking, he's speaking at a surface level, but then you can go down a couple of levels, and he's, he's often saying some very theologically rich things as he tells a story. So he's not just telling a story, he's telling it with a purpose uh, and for a specific reason. So, John chapter 2, verse 1. It says, The next day there was a wedding celebration in the village of Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples were also invited to the celebration. Now, the wine supply ran out during the festivities, so Jesus' mother told him, they have no more wine. That is a sad day. And I just say, Jesus replies, dear woman, that's not our problem. My time has not yet come. And uh, if just to go Bible nerd on you for a second, this will mean something to some of you, but when it, in the original Greek, it says the hour has not yet come. And this is a, one of the ways that John is indicating to us that something bigger is happening. And whenever John uses the hour in this passage, he's always pointing forward to Jesus' sacrificial death, the hour of his death, uh, the release of his love and forgiveness into the world. So he's cueing us up here. He says, my hour has not yet come. But his mother told his servants, uh, despite Jesus seeming like he's not going to go along with this, but she says, do whatever he tells you. Now, standing nearby were six stone water jars used for Jewish ceremonial washing. Each could hold 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus told the servants, fill the jars with water. And when the jars had been filled, he said, now dip some out and take it to the master of ceremonies. The servants followed his instructions. Now, when the master of the ceremonies tasted the water that was now wine, not knowing where it had come from, though, of course, the servants knew, he called the bridegroom over. He said, a host always serves the best wine first, he said. Then when everyone has had a lot to drink, he brings out less expensive wine. <laughs> uh, but you have kept the best until now. This guy must have been Dutch. Dutch people are very frugal. I am Dutch. Somewhat frugal. Anyway, most people were, anyway. The miraculous sign at Cana in Galilee, this miraculous sign at Cana in Galilee was the first time Jesus revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. And then he goes to Capernaum. But anyway, again, John is trying to highlight something deeper than just a story where Jesus turns water into wine, Okay. That's, that's probably how many of us know this story. And, and he, he cues us up at the very end by saying, this is the first time Jesus revealed his glory. Uh, this is 
in case you weren't paying attention, pay attention is what John is saying. Because this is first, we're trying to say something deeply, deeply important about who Jesus is, what his ministry means, and ultimately, because he's queuing us up to the cross, what the cross is all about. And it is this. Jesus' love is generous. Jesus' love is so generous. The thing that you may have noticed is that Jesus doesn't just turn water into wine, which is pretty cool and a nice party trick. He turns a lot of water into a lot of wine. This is extravagant. Jesus is generous, not wasteful, but, but generous beyond what they needed. Uh, you know, you can do a little math there. Uh, it's like, tw- let's just say 25 gallons. It said between 20 and 30 gallons. You multiply that out. I don't remember all the middle math, but you end up with something like 750 bottles of wine for this party. And they've already been drinking. This isn't like 750 for the party. It's like we've run out of wine. We're somewhere in the middle of the party. We don't know where. And now we've got 750 more bottles. Now, I used to always think that there were only four glasses of wine in each bottle. But I guess that's the way that I pour them. I guess there's six glasses (laughs) of wine in each bottle. So there's somewhere, I guess, depending on how you pour, between 3,000 and 4,500 glasses of wine for probably not more than 200 wedding guests, you know, right? Like, how big could this wedding be? The village probably wasn't more than a few hundred. Even if everybody's invited, we're talking about an extravagant wine, uh, an extravagant amount of wine. But it's not just the amount of wine that's significant here. The guy says, wow, usually, right, people bring out the good wine first so that they don't notice when you bring the bad wine. But this, you know, the master of ceremony is probably the only guy who's not drinking because he's the guy in charge, right? Uh, and he's, he can tell that this is really, really good wine. So take this away from the story. It was a lot, and it was good. And that tells me something, and I hope that it, it settles into your hearts, and that's that Jesus is generous. Now, I don't know why this is so profound to me. It has wrecked me. It has brought me to tears this week, and it might be because of that Dutch thing that I have. Like, what was keeping me from believing that God is generous? Maybe it's because where I grew up, you know, frugality was one of the highest virtues. And generosity was seen as wasteful, right? You wanted to save up for yourself so that, you know, maybe it was somewhat fear-based. So when times got bad, right, especially in an agricultural kind of setting, like most Dutch people had uh, until pretty recently, that there was enough to survive. So maybe it was fear-based, but it was like this family value that uh, I, I had to kind of get past. I couldn't wrap my mind around the idea that God might be generous. Maybe you don't have that problem, but it's something that, that I've had to, to wrestle with. And, you know, to go back to the convertible thing, uh, I, I was just in ama- standing in amazement that God would do something like this for me. Like, I, I just, I believe, <laughs> this sounds so strange, I think, I think God blew the tree down. <laughs> And, and it, was, it was a generous thing to do. Like, the, the, the coincidence is just so crazy. And you might think, oh, this guy's crazy. And maybe, I could be wrong. Like, maybe it is just coincidence. But I believe that every good thing comes from God. 
And, and I was standing there not just saying, thank you, God. You know how sometimes you say thank you because it's the polite thing to do? And I think sometimes we pray like that too, right? God, thank you for the day and thank you for the food and thank you for our many blessings, right? It's like we've been taught how to do it. And so it's the polite thing to do uh, to God. And so, and we're polite. But have you ever been given something and you're just like, wow, I can't believe that somebody would do such a thing for me. That's what I was feeling with this convertible. And it is not a Mercedes. It is a 10-year-old Chrysler Sebring and, and it is literally a grandma car, okay? I bought it from a grandma, <laughs> which is great, I think, or at least in my, my grandma took really good care of her car because she didn't know how to take care of it. She had to bring it to the mechanic. So I'm just, I don't know. I assume that it's in great shape. It was very clean. So I'm, I'm not like, yay, Mercedes for everybody, but it's just this like fulfillment of a desire I had that I was willing to wait for. You know, I'm not, I, I've got a couple more years before 40, right? Like, that was the plan. That was the arrangement Allison, my wife, and I had, at least. Uh, but, but I was just overwhelmed with God's goodness. And, and it wasn't, in this case, a general abstract goodness. Suddenly, it was goodness to me. And I just wonder if there are people in this room who have never thought of God as being generous. And I wonder why that is. And so uh, what I want to do right now is I actually want to do just a little exercise, and I'm going to invite you to close your eyes. And we're going to, again, just invite God to come. And I'm going to ask you a couple of questions, but I, I think maybe what you want to do is ask God these questions and notice kind of what pops into your brain. We believe that God speaks here at the Vineyard, and this is one of the ways sometimes that he will speak. So what keeps you from believing that God is generous? God, what keeps me from believing that God, you are generous? Notice what comes to mind. Uh, it might be like me, it could be family values, but it might be actually that you're in a very lean time or that some terrible uh, things have happened to you and, and you're, you're in a place of hardly believing that God exists, not not even that he's generous. And I, I just, I don't want you to minimize those things. I want you to take those things. Maybe, maybe you're broke or maybe you're sick or maybe you're, you're confused or maybe whatever. I just want you to hold that up before God because God wants to engage with you on that. He's not afraid of that. He's bigger than that. So take that and put it before God in your mind. And just in your mind, say, God, what do you want to say to me? Now pray with me. Help me to see your generosity in my life. So what are the things that are coming to mind that you can be just genuinely, overwhelmingly thankful for? Not politely thankful, but stand in awe, amazed, thankful. And now, God, bring to my mind places that I am not generous. 
places that I am stingy or greedy or afraid. And I don't know what the next step is for you, but maybe it is simply confession. Maybe it's a, I'm sorry, God. Or maybe it's a surrender. Maybe it's a, you know, you have your, your grip so tight onto these things or onto these values that you just need to surrender and, and kind of mentally release those things to Jesus. And finally, Jesus, show me right now a way that I can be generous to someone. This week, bring someone to mind that I can be generous to. Amen. I just kind of want to. I want to ask the room, and it, there's no shame here. We, we we're not judging, and we're not shaming. But how many of you feel like something came into your mind at any point that you felt like was from God? From God. Uh, now, if if that thing was uh, a step to be generous, I I want you to just grab the connect card that you sat on when you came in, and there's a checkbox there that says, "I will love like Jesus this week." And make that just a commitment in your mind to say, I am going to follow through with this thing that I believe that God has drawn me to or spoken to me about. And if you want to, you can even write in that little blank space uh, what that thing is. I, I just find it so cool to read uh, what God is drawing people to do, but then also what people do because they feel like God has drawn them to it. Um, Something, something I want to say uh, just is that love and generosity is like lightning and thunder. Like t- love is the lightning and generosity is the thunder and, it, and you cannot love someone without being generous. And as we talk about loving like Jesus, there's a component of if we're going to love like Jesus, we're going to be generous like Jesus. You can be generous, you can hear a loud noise and it doesn't have to be lightning, right? Like you can be generous for all sorts of reasons. Maybe you feel guilty or maybe you feel shame or maybe, maybe someone has just asked you a bunch of times for something and so you're annoyed and, and just want them to stop talking, stop asking you, right? Uh, you, can, you can be generous for all sorts of reasons. You can be generous for, you know, I, I, I'm looking for a payback here or I, I, I see this as an investment in a future possibility or whatever. Uh, so you can, you can be generous without love, but I don't think you can have love without generosity, just like you can't have lightning without thunder. Or you can't have thunder without... You can't have lightning without thunder. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Where lightning strikes, there is thunder. Where love strikes, there is generosity. And I, I want to tell you a story uh, from, from this guy, Bob Goff, who uh, wrote this book, Love Does. He, uh, he's he's kind of a strange guy. Really, but one of his one of his life principles is that he never lets his phone go to voicemail. That is like the opposite of what I do. <laughs> in fact, I will tell people like, don't, "You can call me. That's great. If I'm, you don't have to worry about bothering me because if I'm in the middle of something, I'm just I will let it go to voicemail and I'll get back to you when I can. And it might be today and it might be tomorrow. 
he picks up his phone no matter what. And he's a lawyer. So he's sitting down with this like really rich guy talking about some lawyer stuff. And, uh, and uh, his phone rings, and he says, oh, okay, just so you know, I always pick up my phone. I'm sorry, I'm going to take this. And on the other end of the line, there's a robotic voice that says, hello, you have, and he clicks, right? Like any of us would do, because you assume that you've, you know, won a carnival cruise, and, but not really. Uh, so, you know, he goes back to the, the meeting, and the phone rings again, same number. He's like, oh, man, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pick this up, I'm going to answer it so that at the end I can you know, push the button that says, please don't call me ever again. I think that used to work. I don't think that works anymore. But anyway, the, the phone picks up and it says, hello, you've received a call from Sac- Sacramento Penitentiary. Please press 5 and your phone will be charged five, no, $9.95 if you'd like to receive this call. And he says, okay, well, this is interesting. wonder what this is about. So he pushes 5. And he says, hello, this is Bob Goff. And there's this kind of gruff voice on the other line, and, she sa- and he says, or he asks, uh, where's Shanice? And he says, I'm sorry, I'm not Shanice. I don't know a Shanice. Uh, sorry, I can't help you. The guy hangs up. Uh, and the phone rings again. He picks up. Hello, you've received a call from Sacramento State Penitentiary, push five, and you will be charged $9.95 to receive this call. He picks up the phone. He says, would you mind calling Shanice for me? He says, I, I don't know if I can help you, but I guess, yeah, I can make a conference call. So he, uh, he's got his office phone or his cell phone, and he adds, he types in the number, and it's like it's close to his number, so he can kind of understand what, what went wrong here. And uh, He's listening in on this three-way call, and, and uh, again, a man picks up uh, on the other side. And, and so the, the guy in prison says, is Shanice there? And the guy says, Shanice is with me, me now, and hangs up. So what had happened is, right, he was trying to call his girlfriend or his fiance or whoever this was, and, and she'd moved on, new guy. And uh, the individual hangs up as well, and, and Bob thinks, man, I, I really feel bad for this guy. And he, he, uh, he says, man, this, this new friend of mine is really going through something tough. The, the phone rings again. Hello, this is Sacramento <laughs> Penitentiary. Push five, and you'll be charged $9.95. And uh, he picks up, and the guy says, uh, uh, would you mind calling my mom next? I don't know why. Bob is like, I'm not usually uh, an operator, but, you know, I'm, I've gone, come this far with this guy. And so he, he calls in his mom, and he's on the other line. And uh, the inmate says, hey, mom, I just wanted to let you know that I love you. And mom hangs up. And this time, Bob uh, just feels so bad. And, and he's still on the line. He said, hey, God, is there any way that I can help you? What do you need? And the inmate says, you know, I need a bracelet. And Bob thinks that is a very strange request from an inmate. Like he's imagining, you know, one of these like gold-plated bracelets to walk around free time with and I, whatever. And, and he says, no, I need a, I, I've been here four years and I, I'm up for some kind of 
prison release and I need a bracelet put on my leg uh, so that you know they can track me and so that I can leave the prison. And Bob says, yeah, sure, I can do that, friend. And uh, Bob didn't know how much those bracelets cost. <laughs> he was very surprised at how, how expensive they were, but he, he had committed to it. He had the resources. He, he bought the bracelet for the guy. And that's the end of the story. Uh, like Bob never saw him again. But the thing to notice here is that Bob is a generous person. He was quick to love, and he was quick to give. Uh, he was generous with his resources, but also generous with his friendship. He made a choice to befriend this man, and out of that friendship and out of that love, he bought this really expensive thing that he probably never expected uh, that that's where it would take him. But Jesus, too, is generous with his resources and generous with his friendship. And I just want to talk about the resources just a second. Of course, we've just looked at this passage where Jesus turns a lot of water into a lot of really great wine. Uh, but you just, you, you look over the entire Bible and you realize, like, God is not stingy. <laughs> he is generous. And I want to talk to those of you who give faithfully uh, and and significantly and sometimes sacrificially to this church. I want to talk about giving here for just a minute. And I'm not going to shame anybody or guilt anybody or say anything to make anybody feel bad. But to those of you who give faithfully and significantly and sometimes sacrificially, like you are reflecting God's heart when you do that. Like don't forget that when you give, when you are generous with your money, that it's so significant. It is so important. And you're doing something amazing in that you are reflecting God's generous heart. So thank you for doing that. And of course, the church isn't the only place to give, but man, we think that God is doing some cool stuff in our midst and through us, and, and not just on Sundays, but throughout the week as you guys go out and love like Jesus. And as we, uh, you know, last week, or was it the week before? I don't remember now. You know, we, we talked about the new care team that that's being launched and, and that will help care for needs uh, among us. But I want you to see that God is not just generous with resources, he's generous with friendship. And you see this in part in this passage where Jesus turns water into wine, right? Like he is at this party and I, he just made a bunch of friends, I'm sure, because he just bought drinks for the whole place, right? But uh, he, he actually, it seems it caused him some inconvenience because he wasn't ready to go public yet uh, to perform this miracle. But it's pretty amazing. In other places, you see this generosity with friendship in other places. Jesus is the kind of person who pursues those who have been shut out, those who are lonely, those who have been judged in particular. And so he does this, he does this pretty frequently, actually. He invites himself over to other people's houses. You ever notice that that's, that that's a little strange? And it's not because Jesus is clingy. He does this with a tax collector. In fact, I think he does it with two different tax collectors. He says, I'm coming to your house, and you're throwing the party. And you might think, wow, that's a bad deal. But no, it's this, it's this amazing deal because there's honor in that, in that culture, even more than today. You know what it means to sit down with someone? To be invited to a party? It's a display of friendship. 
even more then than today. It was Jesus pursuing friendship with these tax collectors. It was Jesus pursuing friendship with the guests at this wedding. It's Jesus who goes to his disciples and says, hey, you guys, you want to come with me? And, And that's just one of the essential, I think, ingredients to loving like Jesus, to pursue people. And I know, I don't know if Frank is in here today. He's always serving his guts out in this building. Some of you guys know Frank Neifert. He's the kind of guy who will text me all the time. He will pursue me. He will say, hey, how are you doing? Man, that feels good. You guys know what I'm talking about, right? Some of you know Jeff Cronin. He's, he's like a seek and destroy missile out there. You all know, I never have to wonder like, hey, do you know Jeff when somebody comes that's new? Because he is just such a pursuer of people. And yeah, I think Jesus is calling some of us to pursue people in friendship. And you can't be best friends with everybody. But he pursues friendship with people who aren't always easy to be friends with. That's part of it. But I want you to hear too that if you're lonely, if if you're the one who doesn't get invited to parties, he's pursuing friendship with you as well. Jesus is generous with his friendship. There's a place where uh, he says to his disciples, you know, like typically there's this teacher-student relationship and, and in most systems, you know, there's kings and there's servants, but I have called you friends. Jesus is generous to you at a very personal level. There's, there's in some ways no bigger act of generosity than to offer friendship. Bob Goff, you know, didn't even know this guy for more than, you know, five, nine, ninety-five phone calls, and he called him a friend. But out of that friendship came this generous love that changed this guy's life. You have to believe that it changed his life. It's significant in the story that uh, Jesus essentially saves these two young teenagers that are getting married from not just embarrassment, but from an incredible amount of shame. You know, they lived in a shame culture, and I don't think we used to live in a shame culture here, but I think social media switched that. I think we used to be in a guilt culture, but then something with social media took us into a shame culture where... uh, you know, if we screw up, uh, we feel bad about it, even if it doesn't get posted all over social media, because in social media, everything looks great. So when we screw up, we feel bad about it, because it looks like everybody else is doing fine. Um, But in that time, to run out of wine would have not just been a bummer for the party. It would have been the sort of stigma that would have lasted for years to come for this newly formed family. And it wasn't just that they were low on wine, like start turn in, you know, uh, four pours into six pours for each bottle or maybe six into ten. They were totally out. They were totally depleted. They had nothing left. The wine was gone. And out of nothing, Jesus brings everything. Out of their depletion, uh, Jesus brings more than, more than they could ever have, have imagined. Out of their deficiency, Jesus is more than sufficient. It's incredible. 
And some of you are coming to church in that place of being totally depleted. And Jesus wants to meet you in that place. In fact, Jesus loves meeting people in that place because there's like more space for him to to pour into. Um, Jesus does something that some of you will relate to because they run out of wine and Jesus asks the people to do something that seems like it has nothing to do with having more wine, am I right? And that's the Christian life, right? I want more of this or I would like more of that. And God says, well, go do this other thing. Like, what does filling up jars with water have to do with wine? Nothing. But Jesus works through this, like, obedience that seems somewhat foolish to anybody who's looking on from outside to bless them, to to bring them into fullness. So some of you are depressed and looking for joy. And I don't know what the next step is for you it probably involves stepping into community at a deeper level. But instead of even just trying to make a plan for yourself, open yourself up to God. Don't do what seems rational necessarily. Do what seems like God is calling you to. um, And and ask God for what you're looking for. Okay, Uh, there's this guy named Dwight Moody. Some of you have heard of him. He was a pastor in Chicago. Uh, in the like mid to late 1800s, uh, became very famous, especially after his death because of the Moody Bible Institute that's in Chicago. But he was pastoring this Chicago church during the Great Chicago Fire that some of you know of from history. And his church was one of the buildings that burned down, and a lot of the people who went to his church were suffering the same kind of devastation because of their houses that burned down. And so, like what often happens to people after some sort of catastrophe, is he fell into a great depression. And he goes around trying to collect money for not just his church, but for his people uh, to recover from the Chicago fire. And he finds himself in New York, and he's, he's just, he's at rock bottom. Uh, his, his vat, so to speak, is empty. And he's just asking for money, but crying out to God, like, I need to be filled I am empty. He says, oh Lord, become a reality to me. I need you. And then something happened to him, an experience. And he puts it this way. He says, I cannot describe it. I seldom refer to it. It is almost too sacred an experience to name. I can only say that God revealed himself to me. And I had such an experience of his love that I had to ask him to stay his hand. God was generous to him in that moment. It was delayed, but it came with such power that it was more than he could bear. Generosity that overwhelmed him. And he said later uh, that, that the change in me was so significant that if somebody were to offer me the world, the wealth of the world in exchange for that experience, I would reject it. The world would seem like just a speck of dust compared to that. He said, I would never go back because God was so generous and so good to me. Let's pray. God, open this up to your generosity. We love you. We ask that you would do something in each of us. We need you to fill us up.
So now as we stand and sing, I pray that you would meet us. We love you, God, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks again for listening to the podcast of the Vineyard Church, Chester Springs. We hope you share this with your friends and family and subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. See you next time.